Welcome. Uh, if you're just now joining us, uh, we welcome you to uh, this morning's worship at Bethany United Methodist Church, uh, where we are experiencing God's love, uh, knowing Jesus Christ and growing in His image. And uh, so we're glad that you have chosen to join with us this morning. We've been in a sermon series where we've been looking at certain locations and events and people in Jesus' life leading up to His entry to Jerusalem, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. And we're going to continue in that this morning. Uh, what I want to do to start with is take you back to the very first Sunday when the story was about the temptation of Jesus, when right after his baptism, the Spirit drives him out into the wilderness where he is tempted and tested for 40 days by the devil. And at the end of that time, Luke tells us, when the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. And so this morning, I want to touch on what may have been some of those opportune times uh, in Jesus' life in uh, this last week that he is in his earthly life. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we give you thanks for your presence with us this morning. And we give you thanks that you walk with us as we begin this time together. Let the words of my mouth, let the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I'm going to tie uh, some of those temptations together with some of the events uh, in Jesus' life in this last week. Uh, from Luke, uh, the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. So on, on this Sunday, Palm Sunday, one of the stories we celebrate is Christ's entry into Jerusalem. And as he came from the village of Bethany over the top of the Mount of Olives, uh, this is the view he would have had. And as you see there, where, where, what is now the Dome of the Rock is where the temple would have been in Jesus' day and age. Uh, you can see the city wall in front of that. Uh, we took this photo uh, from, from the top of the mount as we were coming into the city. And, and Kurt, I couldn't help but think that uh, when we were making that uh, journey years ago, as we came into the city, the holy city was what we were singing and playing. So uh, when you sang it immediately, I was just right back in this place as we entered into Jerusalem. So, so this is what he would have been uh, looking at as he came over the top. And then they would have proceeded down the road and into the city on the way to uh, the temple. And this is the road, actually this is the exact road he would have been walking on as he went in. The story of Palm Sunday tells us that as he came in, the, the people waved palm branches which were a sign of life and victory, uh, the palms being the mark in the desert of where the oasis was and where there was water. And so they came to symbolize life in this, this part of the world. Uh, and they would lay their cloaks on the road, which was a sign of their submission to his authority. It was the traditional greeting that was done to welcome a returning victor, uh, a general king uh, returning from army back to the people, a way of, of celebrating the victory and of pledging their allegiance to the ruler. So as Jesus is coming in, all of this is going on, and they're shouting, Hosanna, which literally means, you have saved us, uh, as he enters. And, and, you know, there had to be that moment as he comes in and he's approaching the temple that, that the devil is whispering in his ear, you know, they're, they're ready to proclaim you king. Uh, you can call on your heavenly armies, and, and you don't have to go through with this. Uh, you don't have to suffer, and you don't have to die. Going back to that original temptation. 
And what we're told is that as he entered the temple then, he entered Jerusalem, went into the temple. When he had looked around at everything, it was already late. He went out to Bethany with the twelve. Instead of seizing hold of that moment to become the ruler of the world, uh, he turns around and walks back out to Bethany to the home of his friends Mary and Martha and Lazarus, uh, declining that temptation and making a decision to continue to follow the plan of God in the midst of this holiest of weeks. Next temptation I want to talk about. And the devil led him up, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. So there's a moment when Jesus stands before Pilate uh, on trial in the courts uh, and stands in front of him, and, and that, that temptation had to be there. You know, here's Jesus standing before Pilate, the representative of Rome. And, and, and Jesus had to know that at that moment, if he had done the right thing, said the right word, called on the right armies of heaven, uh, he could have become the ruler. He could have taken over the power. That was being offered to him in that moment. Instead of moving forward with this plan that would lead to crucifixion, he could take over and become the ruler. And how many things could he have set straight as the ruler of Rome? If you go to Jerusalem today, uh, you can actually stand on the stones uh, in the courtyard of the Antonian Fortress where Jesus stood. Uh, the Antonian Fortress is directly connected right next door to the Temple Mount. Uh, it was built there so that the Romans could keep an eye on what was going on at the temple. And, and Jesus would have stood on these stones. And if you look at this photo carefully, you'll notice there's some grooves carved into those stones. Uh, those were placed there by the Roman soldiers when they were standing there during times of court. Uh, they carved those into the stone to form a, a playing piece, if you will, and they played a game kind of like uh, checkers or tic-tac-toe uh, on that stone. And so that's how they would occupy their time while Pilate was having cold in court. And Jesus would have stood here in front of him and known that if he had wanted it, he could have become the ruler of the world. But this is the conversation that takes place. Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or do others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. And in that moment, he, he makes the decision, you know, my kingdom's not of this world. Uh, no, I, I'm not going to play into the power of this world. He makes a decision instead of taking on the power of this world and being a ruler of this world to remain the king of heaven and the king of eternity. And, and if you think of this historically, the reality of it is that, uh, you know, the Roman Empire, where is it today? I mean, where is the Empire of Rome? It fell apart just like all earthly kingdoms do. But the kingdom of heaven lasts forever. And while the Roman Empire is gone, the body of the Christian church is now the largest religion in the world. Uh, Jesus chooses to be the king of heaven the king of eternity, so that he is still our king. And we can still say, Hosanna, you've saved us. 
because of that choice. The very first temptation that took place when Jesus was led out in the desert, the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Now, he's been out there 40 days. He's had nothing to eat or drink in 40 days, and he is beyond hungry. He is on the edge of starvation. And so the temptation to, to change the stone to a loaf of bread is more than just appealing. Uh, it, it's life-changing, life-sustaining. And so the choice is, do I follow the plan of God and, and risk what that might bring, or do I take this easier way to be sure that I can have what I need to sustain my physical life? Those are the choices before him. And, and at that time, he makes the choice to follow the plan of God. But, but this had to come back to him again this last week, this choice. Do, do you follow God's plan or do you take care of your life? And, and for me, at least, the story centers around a very particular stone. Uh, one of the mornings we were in Jerusalem, the first day we had actually had a full day there when we arrived, uh, our guide got us up very early in the morning. Uh, it was March, it was cold, uh, and, and got us out of the hotel before the crack of dawn, literally, so that we could be the first ones to the Garden of Gethsemane. He wanted us to get there before the crowds arrived. We arrived before anyone was there. Even the vendors had not set up outside the gates at this point. And we walked into the garden and literally had it all to ourselves, this beautiful place. And, and you noticed immediately the, the, the old olive trees that are in there and the gnarled kind of appearance of them. And as you walk through, some of them obviously are, are quite ancient. Uh, and you can see how it's been you know, broken down and, and sprouted back out again. One in particular is known to be somewhere around three or 4,000 years old. And this tree, because of its age, we know for sure that this tree was there when Jesus was there. And that was just an overwhelming kind of sensation to walk into this place. There's a lot of places in Israel that we know, uh, you know, Jesus was somewhere around here or it was somewhere in this region. And then there's places that we know exactly where he was. And this location is one that we know exactly because it's been here ever since then. Uh, Gethsemane means the uh, olive press. Uh, it's the place where the olives were pressed to extract the oil. And this location has been in use ever since then, uh, now as a place of, of worship, but for a long time, it continued to be an, an olive grove and press. It's located directly next to the Church of All Nations. And as you look at that photo, you look at the front of the church, the little kind of courtyard area immediately to the left of the main church building is where the garden is. That's the area we started off in. We walked from there and we walked into the actual church building. And then we walked to the altar of the church, which is this large stone. Uh, we're told in the Gospels that when Jesus prayed that, that he stepped away eventually from the disciples and, and went and, and kneeled at a stone and, and prayed and his tears were like drops of blood when they fell on the stone. This is, is the location. This is the stone where, where Jesus prayed. It's one of those locations that there's a high degree of certainty about. We had promised our congregation at home that we were going to bring prayers from them uh, and we would take them to this place where we knew Jesus prayed and we would lift up their prayers. And so this morning we came and we gathered uh, around that stone. And uh, this is me and one of the leaders from my congregation in Seguin. And we placed our hands on that stone and, and began to pray. And it was just an overwhelming experience um, to be in that place and to feel so much the presence of God. Uh, to feel this powerful presence of, 
of love and sorrow both uh, in that location. Uh, we were all just overwhelmed with this very clear sense of, of the love of God being dwelling in that place and resting on us as we lifted up those prayers. Uh, the story in the gospel goes like this. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and agitated. Then he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and stay awake with me. And going a little further, he threw himself on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. One of the things we sometimes don't pick up on this is that uh, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are images of the cup of wine mixed with certain spices uh, that represent the judgment of God upon God's people, upon those who have broken the laws, God's law. And so when he says that, he, he's talking about the cup of judgment. You know, let this pass. You know, I, don't, don't make me have to take into myself the judgment that belongs to all of the world. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, so could you not stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away for the second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words. That morning as our group was praying in, in the garden and, and then at the stone uh, that is the altar of the Church of All Nations, we, we felt that powerful love moving through us. It was such an overwhelming experience. And one of my friends uh, in Seguim made a painting of the garden. Uh, and this is uh, in the garden looking across toward the city of Jerusalem. And that's the Golden Gate uh, in the midst and the distance you see. Uh, this hangs in my office. Uh, it, it was just such a powerful moment for us to be there in that place and, and to feel th this powerful sense of love and, and sorrow, this, this sense of compassion that, that was so powerful that it was willing to, to take upon itself judgment. Uh, I mean, in this moment, God is choosing in Jesus Christ to take the judgment of the world upon himself. And as I was in there praying, I think one of the things that happened for me was that it went from being an understanding that, that God was taking upon himself the judgment of the world, but it went to being a, a, a very real understanding that in love, God was doing this for me. Uh, that it wasn't just kind of a generic thing, but, but rather this was, this was God offering himself on the cross. This was Jesus offering himself on the cross for me. Uh, and it became very personal uh, in that moment. Uh, and I want you to hear it. It is very personal that, that when Christ offers himself on the cross for the sins of the world, that's not some kind of just bland, generic kind of statement. He, he's offering himself up for my sins and for your sins. Uh, and this powerful love. I, I talked a few weeks ago about how if, uh, you know, we parents... Uh, had a child that was sick or injured and was going to have to have surgery or go through a round of difficult treatment or have treatment for cancer, uh, that we frequently say things like, boy, if I could just take their place, I would do it in a heartbeat. And, and unfortunately, we can't. But that's the difference between us and God. Because God could say, 
for his children. I will take upon myself uh, this. I will take this instead of them. And God could do it. And that was the exact thing that was happening in this place, in this moment. Uh, The Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ chose to accept for himself the judgment that belonged to me and the judgment that belonged to you. It was this amazing, powerful thing of, of love overwhelming, overwhelming fear and shame. You know, we, we come into this week, uh, this is Holy Week, and it's a difficult week. Uh, just like Ash Wednesday at the beginning of the season is often difficult for stuff as we face the reality of our mortality. When we come into Holy Week, we're walking into these difficult kinds of places where Jesus is going to be arrested and where he's going to be beaten and where he's going to be whipped and where he's going to be crucified. And, and it's very uncomfortable. Uh, it's very hard for us. Uh, I'm always aware that you know, the number of people who can come for, for Good Friday uh, pales in comparison to the number of people who will worship on Easter. Because Easter is a joyful, upbeat, hopeful kind of thing. And, and everyone wants to do that. Uh, but, but to come on Good Friday and to walk into this darkness is painful. Uh, and it's difficult. Uh, it raises up in us all of our grief for any losses that have occurred in our life or are that are occurring at the moment in our lives and forces us to revisit them. Uh, it reminds us, it reminds us of the reality of our sin that is forgiven in Jesus Christ. And so oftentimes when we come to these moments in the story, we try to avoid them. Uh, we try to go around them. We don't want to walk into these dark places with Jesus because we find ourselves filled with fear and anxiety. What happened for me on that day was suddenly I realized that uh, in those moments, instead of being fearful or anxious or guilt-ridden, that I, I, I could be aware of this tremendous love, this powerful love that, that overwhelms all of that. And that, that love would empower me to walk into those dark moments. For some of us, this week is going to be especially difficult in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic. We have a lot of us, and I suspect uh, quite a few of you who are fearful and concerned about this, uh, both, both the reality of the physical kind of nature uh, of the illness and, and the possibilities of that either taking our life or the life of someone we love, as well as others who are worried about the more uh, day-to-day business of, of how do I make the finances work during this period of time. And and there's a lot of fear and anxiety around that. And when you layer that on top of the events of Holy Week, I suspect for some of us it's it's overwhelming. Uh, The fear is more than we can bear. But what I want you to hear is there's there's different ways to deal with this. And the, the easy way is simply to avoid it and pretend like it's not happening. I think we've finally reached the point after the first couple of weeks when the reality of this epidemic is sinking in to many of us. At first, it was a change in routine and doing things differently, and we were preoccupied with that. But now that we're at this point, it's beginning to really become real that, that this illness is there and that people are dying from it. Uh, this reality that it's all around us, and, and it could be us. And so I'm sure that a lot of folks this week are, are going to find it so difficult to move into this time because the, the fear that Holy Week sometimes raises up in us uh, is just amplified tremendously by the fear that's all around us. But I want to invite you not to avoid that. I want to invite you instead to, to face that fear 
and that anxiety uh, and claim in the midst of it this overwhelming love that God holds for us. I mean, in this garden, in this place, Jesus chose not to turn away from suffering and death, but he chose to walk into it in love for me and for you. And even in this week when we are retelling that story in the midst of an epidemic, God is still willing to walk into that suffering and walk into those deaths in love and compassion. So instead of running away from this or trying to avoid it or pretend like it's not happening, I invite you to stand strongly in the midst of it. And allow the love of God that overwhelms fear. Invite the love of God that overwhelms fear to come and dwell within you as we walk through this time of Holy Week in the midst of COVID-19. Don't run away. Don't avoid. Step into the love of God that overwhelms all of our fear and anxiety. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we confess to you that we are fearful people. We are worried about how we're going to make ends meet. Even deeper than that, we're worried about whether we will become ill or people we love will become ill or someone we love will die. And we confess to you our fearfulness in this time. We ask you to come into our lives in the power of your mighty love, a love that was willing to walk into darkness and into death for us, a love that, that was able to overwhelm darkness and death and come to final victory. So we ask you to come into our hearts in this time with that love and overwhelm the fear within us with your love and with your compassion. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.